You're listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast, where we explore the connection between running and positive mental health. We do this by talking to runners from all walks of life who generously share their experiences with us. So you don't miss an episode, I've created an email list for you to join. Check the show notes for more details. Without further ado, I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast, where we talk to neuroscientist and trail runner Jess Collins. Jess shares just how much running has supported her life in all sorts of ways and how much she loves it. Enjoy. Today on Fit Mind Fit Body, I am excited to talk to Jess Collins. Hey, Jess. Hello. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I love when I get to meet new people. Like this podcast, I have spoken to lots of people I know because, as you know, runners know runners. <laughs> when I started, I was talking to a lot of people I know. But um, in the recent times, I've been speaking to lots of people that I'm meeting through the podcast, which has been really exciting. So thanks for being brave enough to jump in. Oh, my pleasure. And all of us runners seem to be connected somehow. We all know someone who's a runner who knows someone who's a runner. And yeah, exactly. It's actually it's a little bit like when you go to the mainland of Australia or overseas. And if the mainland, you say, um, oh, yeah, I'm from Tasmania. And they say, oh, do you know so and so? And they live, you know, not in the same town as you, at least, even. Um, or the, if you're in um, overseas, I don't know if you've had that experience. Oh, yeah, I'm from Australia. Oh, I know someone from Australia. Do you know that person? It's like, um, no. But I think for runners, it's a bit more <laughs> the connection. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Anyway. Um, all right, Jess, tell us a little bit about where Jess grew up. What was your childhood like? Um, so I actually grew up in southeast Queensland. So I'm now a t- Tassie-based girl. But until I was 15, I was a wow. southeast Queenslander. Oh, wow. um, so I grew up in Logan City. Yeah. Um, I went to high school. So I finished grade 10 there. And then my parents moved me to northwest Tasmania for grade 11 and 12. Mm. Um, and then from Is there, I just... <laughs> Yeah, it was a massive shock. And then from there, I decided to go to uni in Hobart and have been down south since. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty big shift as a 15-year-old, leaving all your friends and everything you knew and the climate that you loved and getting taken to northwest Tasmania. And I remember getting off the spirit of Tasmania in summer, mind you, in December in, you know, my board shorts and T-shirt because that's what we wore in Queensland. I didn't own a jumper. And getting off and being like, this oh. is summer. I am going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, luckily you didn't, but um, <laughs> I, can, I can imagine I'm um, tomorrow heading to Noosa for eight oh. weeks to house it up there. So, um, <laughs> which I have done in this same place before. So I was literally, before we got on the podcast, I was like going through my clothes, starting to think, what do I need to take? And I'm like, oh no, I don't need this jumper. Take your your uh, most summery running clothes <laughs> exactly exactly um so anyway um, do you have siblings do you have brothers and sisters uh, yeah I have one older sister and one younger sister oh okay all girls yeah classic um, middle child <laughs> love it oh uh, in Queensland as a kid you must have had a lot of your well 
the picture we have all these preconceived ideas don't we so I imagine you spend a lot of time at the beach and in the water and doing yeah know, yeah things. so <laughs> kind of I grew up with a like on and off during my childhood grew up with a pool in my yard so okay. I wasn't I was always a reasonably good swimmer because I learned from a really young age mm. um but like I never went into formal swim training it was kind of one of those weird things where I went to a swimming carnival when I was like 11 years old and then the sports teacher was holy crap you can swim (laughs) (laughs) do you want to do you want to do a bit of training um so I never really went deep into swimming but I have a pretty reasonable natural swimming style um so yeah lots of swimming family loved the beach so you know we used to drive to the sunshine coast like around noosa way and stuff and go to the beach and bodyboard and stuff like that but in terms of um formal sport i actually grew up the first sport i ever did was actually karate um yeah started as a six-year-old and it was mostly because um my mom had got into it and that my parents had decided where we grew up was not, you know, wasn't super rough, but it wasn't the safest place in yeah. the world. And my parents wanted me to have some form of self-defense and kind of a confidence that I could kind of look but after that, myself. Yeah. yeah. So um, rule number one was to run, but rule number two is if you couldn't run, you had your karate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, um, yeah, that was my first formal sport and I did that right up until I moved to Tassie wow um, you must have got very efficient yeah what's, yeah what's the um, right word in karate <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know you you grade and go up belts yeah. I guess but um I I don't think I really appreciated it as a sport until I became a teenager and I think to be honest the the discipline I learned in yeah. that sport I think has really helped me in my running career because Mm. karate is a very disciplined sport Mm. and there's a lot of like control and stuff in it at the Um, time do you remember enjoying it like it as it or was it like my mum and dad are making me do that so uh, I I always loved sport so I think I loved like my parents putting me into something and you know being able to beat up a bag as a seven-year-old whacking stuff was pretty fun and then I think I kind of didn't appreciate it for like a couple of years there around like probably like 10 11 12 and then when I was about 12 13 I just absolutely went super hard into it and loved it and it, I looked forward to it so much and I did a little bit of kickboxing on the side and awesome. yeah really yeah really got into it and then that was one of the saddest things about moving from Queensland leaving leaving that behind mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um so. could you do it up on the coast or is it just not available um, karate's one, of those, <laughs> karate's one of those weird things where there's lots of different styles and yeah. each style has its own belts and grading systems and stuff. And so while they're all based on the same principle, they're not the same. And so the the style of karate I did wasn't offered up the Northwest yeah. Coast. So if I went back to karate, I would have had to start right back at the bottom oh. and learn a new style. And that I just wasn't really prepared yeah, for that. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you remember running at school? Um, yeah. So the other sport that I got heavily into at about ten years old was um, touch football. So being a Queenslander, um, yeah. don't really do AFL up there. We do rugby league. Uh-huh. My dad, my mom and dad are hardcore rugby league fans, so I became a rugby league fan. 
<laughs> and I wanted to play rugby league. And back then the women's league didn't exist. Yeah. And so as soon as girls went through puberty, you weren't allowed to play mm. contact sports anymore. Mm. They just kicked us out. Yeah. And so the next closest thing I could do was touch football. Yeah. So um, I was like an avid touch football player. And so <clears throat> you have to be quite fit for that. It's quite a lot of running, yeah. very fast paced sports. So I suppose I did most of my running within playing touch football yeah. and keeping yeah. fit for touch football, I guess. It sounds mm. like your, your um, <clears throat> childhood is a little bit as you – imagine a lot of Aussie childhoods and that is that you know that outdoorsy sporty sort of you know that that's how we imagine most childhoods in Australia but yeah I know that that's not true it's just a generalization but it does sound like you had childhood like that which is really cool yeah were your siblings the same were they into sport um so older sibling yes um was quite fit and she she also enjoyed touch football um both of them did karate older sister was the same as me she she probably influenced me a little bit because she she also went pretty hard at karate when she was a teenager um little sister hates it like she went to karate because parents took her along but then as soon as she was old enough to kind of be like well I don't like this (laughs) she pretty much stopped and yeah she yeah the idea of running to her I think could couldn't be worse like she 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 doesn't like yeah nah it's funny isn't it we talk a little bit on the podcast sometimes to parents and um that influence that you have on the kids in your in your family and all you can really do is you know influence them give them opportunity to to do stuff but ultimately we're all individuals and (laughs) make our own decision up as well so kind of funny my my mum is um it and she still gyms she doesn't she doesn't yeah. run um so much because she just doesn't feel good for her body but she yeah. hikes like ridiculously long distances and oh. um gyms and yeah so that's awesome she's very fit mm. what about your dad uh no he's like my little sister he he was <laughs> an avid um sports enthusiast uh when he was younger yeah and then I think he played a little bit too much rugby and a little bit um, he got into gridiron American football yeah, yeah. and um, pretty injury inducing sport. I think he got a few too many injuries and then, <laughs> oh. you know, when you kind of run and you kind of can't come back from it and then kind of come a couch potato after that. Yeah. <laughs> so burnt out by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah. So um, he was up until probably his thirties and yeah, not so much now. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So you get to Tassie. What do you do for sport when you're in Tassie? A lot of the things we've talked about are things you did in Queensland. Yeah, so um, kind of started at Hellyer College in Burnie, grade 11 and 12. Um, did manage to find a touch football league in Burnie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, the competition league was men only, oh. but they would allow women to play. <laughs> So I played the men's touch football comp on an all-men's team as the only (laughs) female, (laughs) which was pretty funny. Um, I ended up on the same team as my maths teacher at at Hellyer. And the most hilarious thing was they were the oldest team in the league and their name was the Golden Oldies. (laughs) And they had a girl. (laughs) 
So it was it was all middle-aged older men and then me and they were so kind and it was oh. so much fun and yeah um it let me kind of you know keep that string to my bow for oh. grade 11 um and then uh I was trying to find something else to to do and so my mom and dad were really good at trying to help me find something I could play and so um can't remember where I met one of the girls, but I ended up joining a social basketball team just yep. for a bit of fun. Yeah, and that's big so... up on the coast. I know that. I know they're very sporty actually up there, like team sports. Like yeah. I'm in Launceston, so I keep saying up there, but yeah, I yeah. know that in basketball is one of the, the teams I know they're very strong, the sports they're very strong in. Yeah, so I um, just joined a social basketball team and had a bit of fun doing that as something to do after school mm-hmm. and night a week. Um, so they were kind of the two formal sports I did. And then um, my parents had actually moved to like a small bit of property outside of Bernie about, yeah. you know, five or six um, acres. And so I just kept myself pretty busy exploring the forestry around them and, you know, taking my mount, my bike just on the forestry roads and going hiking and just trying to wow. find places to go. So just kind of made my own fun and didn't do anything formal and then um I used to I had a group of friends at school who were like oh let's do the Bernie 10 in grade 12 and I was like sure I can do that <laughs> and so literally just used to go for a jog once or twice a week around the forestry and yeah. around the Bernie 10 and yeah <laughs> amazing what you can do when you're a kid yeah. <laughs> especially a fit kid because so, yeah. there are some adults you talk to as you would probably know and they're like um, oh yeah we st- I started running and I even did the birdie 10 and like which is an amazing achievement but when you're mm. a kid you it's often like oh yeah sure I can do that I'll just get out of yeah. bed and I'll just do it it's fine yeah it was very much like that I think just had kept a base level of fitness from playing lots of sports and so it was the same thing in high school in Queensland like I used to run cross country at school but I never trained for it I just yeah. was like a fit enough from playing touch football I can run a 3k or a 5k and just rock up and run it <laughs> so do you think as a kid your identity was that I'm a sporty person you know like a I like I, and I'm kind of good at it in that, that um my it was definitely um tomboy like mm-hmm. you wouldn't get a skirt near me I'd fight tooth and nail didn't want to wear a dress or wear pink or <laughs> just just I love just loved hanging out I was dad used to call me the son he never had because it was just I loved doing you know he taught me how to kick um rugby league conversions and you know just stuff like that so definitely identified as a sporty person um but I was also reasonably kind of academic at school as well so kind of just yeah I never really identified as the you know, I wasn't the person that was winning cross country and I wasn't the person that was winning the swimming carnivals, but I was usually placing in everything. Yeah. So I was kind yeah. of the all rounder. I was willing to have a go at everything, no matter how bad I was. And yeah, I was probably best at touch football, like definitely won like best and fairest awards and stuff oh, in wow. touch football. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So, so you head off to uni. Yeah. You go down to Hobart. What do you study? What did you study? Uh, I studied a Bachelor of Medical Research. Oh, cool. And, yeah. and what, do you, what do you become when you study a Bachelor of Medical Research? <laughs> um, 
the answer or the realistic I answer? Because I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not quite the same as studying like a Bachelor of Arts. No. <laughs> like, um, like there's so many things you could do with a Bachelor of Medical Research. So. so essentially you kind of have a medical science degree and then you kind of have to make a choice at that point. You go down, you can use that Bachelor as a stepping stone into master's mm. degrees and things. Mm. So um you know, it can kind of set you up for things like masters of physio and masters okay. of medicine and things like that. Um, but the the purpose of the degree is um, usually for you to then do an honors year. Yeah. And then that, if you go well enough in your honors year, you can then get a scholarship to do a PhD. Okay. You do a PhD and become a doctor, yeah. um, research doctor. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you become what's called a research fellow. Yep. And that's where you're an academic. And yep. so the kind of pathways from that, are you can become an academic at a uni where you are essentially your lecturers. Mm -hmm. So you do yep. lecturing and research on the side, or you can go down the track of full-time academic researcher, mm -hmm. um, where you fight tooth and nail for your job for the rest yeah. of your life. And you become an expert <laughs> on the far western something <laughs> and so I'm, cur I'm currently on track two the uh so you so, find fighting tooth and nail is that what I just had yeah pretty much, pretty much you're just constantly trying to get fun job essentially so what are you what are you specializing in is that is that the right word what do you yeah, yeah. so I did a PhD in neuroscience Oh, um, <laughs> neuroscience. I had to write it on my wall because I kept forgetting the name, but <laughs> which is weird. Uh, I don't know why. Um, and so my PhD was looking at the relationship between traumatic brain injury and dementia. Oh. Um, and now my research kind of focuses around um, aging and dementia and brain injury and looking for biomarkers in the blood that we might be able to use for diagnosis, prognosis, um, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So one of these days it'll be like Jess Collins discovered this thing that helps with dementia in the blood and we can now all. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the dream. The dream <laughs> is to create the, uh, yeah, the Jess Collins test for, um, for you know instead of getting your cholesterol checked for heart yeah. disease let's get your blood tested to see what your risk is and let's wow. try and help it mm. that's fascinating so that and as you see it your future is that's a long long term uh sitting in an office and and, and however else you study in a lab and stuff <laughs> I should know these things. I actually have, I do have a, one of my running friends because you know how you talk a lot with your running friends yes. has a daughter who's in research, but in marine, marine biology. And when she described what she does, like it's really exciting because we do this little test and we put things in tubes and then we wait and see what happens. And then we collect the data and then we spend like years looking at that data. <laughs> it's like that bit doesn't sound as much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's everything apart. Looking it's at. pretty funny some of the stuff we do is yeah you're like wow that is so monotonous and boring <laughs> the things we do you're like wow that's really exciting and yeah. cutting edge so it's yeah it's a bit of a bit of a balance wow. <laughs> and so you're now obviously you're in Hobart I shouldn't say obviously yeah. I was pretty sure you're in Hobart <laughs> um and, and who do you work for down there is that like a government type of 
position? Uh, so the university, so University yeah, yeah. of Tasmania, yeah. um, I'm in the Wicking Dementia Research and Education Centre. So it's its own school within the oh. university. Oh. Yeah. That's right. So things are just coming back to me uh, because I'm in the dementia study. Oh. <laughs> the island. I'm like, I knew I'd seen your face somewhere. I think I read it in the... <laughs> in the newsletter that came out. I may have Look, even taken your blood at some stage. You might have done <laughs> up here in London. Yeah. Anyway, um, I've been a bit slack about it this last year because I've been a bit busy. But um, <laughs> it's like, although, especially, you know, because I think COVID came and now we're talking about the island program. Um, yeah, because COVID came and I was like, oh, I should. And my friend of mine signed up as well and thought, oh, well, that's, that looks like good and we could do some extra study at uni. <laughs> so and all these things. And then life came back and um, been yeah. busy. <laughs> which is maybe what you found but I remember yep. seeing a picture of you running that's why yes that's yeah I remember um, now it's all going snap snaps because at the end of 2020 we did a charity run on the so myself uh two other researchers that are researchers in the island project and another um staff member that works on the island project who are all avid runners from down here, we teamed up together and ran the Tasmania Trail from yeah. Devonport to Dover um, as a charity and awareness yes. event. So, so yeah. Downhill. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it didn't feel very downhill. <laughs> I actually have that as one of my, I look over there because I've got, I've got the, the book from them, the guide, so that I could actually choose some parts of the Tassie Trail to, to do a little challenge on at some point. Hmm. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. All right. So let's, before we get into the awesome things that you think, especially relating, obviously this is a podcast about running, um, exercise and dementia and things like that, which is fascinating because uh, it delves into that whole um, neuroscience. I almost looked over to go to neuroscience. <laughs> oh, I've written it on the <laughs> remember. Um, yeah, let's get into how you actually started running. So we've got, you know, we've got you, you know, how you started running as a sport as opposed to yeah. as something to support your sports. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, so started uni down in Hobart and I lived at a residential college and we did a bit of sport through that, which was cool, but to kind of keep myself fit um, and kind of, I just need to move to, yeah. you know, be able to concentrate and yeah, I need to get out and do something most days. And so um, I pretty much just found jogging around uni was a good way to kind of keep fit and keep my yeah. mind kind of happy and you know it was a cheap accessible sport you know it didn't matter what time I did it I just needed a pair of shoes and I could jump out the door so I was just running you know short mm -hmm. um you know 5k here and there around uni and sport and stuff um and hadn't really thought much of it and then I got to second year uni and uh, <laughs> it's a funny story I was playing um rugby league uh at my residential college as part of our inter-college sports yes. and played the game we won which was great um I got up the day after and realized that my stomach muscles were really sore and I was like oh this is this is weird but it doesn't really feel like doms and why would I have that from playing rugby and um I lifted up my shirt and there was like something sticking out of my stomach what? above my belly button what? And I was like, oh, this isn't good. 
medical so, science you're studying is it sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like that, that shouldn't be there so um I was pretty sure of what it was but I ended up going to the doctors and figuring out anyway I found out a week later that I'd, I'd had a hernia oh. and essentially I had a I must have got stood on during the game at some point yeah. and I had a perfect boot print of cleat bruises and where one of them was it had obviously torn had been enough pressure that yeah it had um torn the muscle essentially and so yeah I had a hernia so I had a little bit of you know your inside, inside guts <laughs> yep sticking sticking out through and anyway so I ended up on a um ended up on a waiting list to get surgery to get that sutured back up and I remember sitting with the doctor and he was like okay so while you're waiting for the surgery you know you you can't you can't play sports because you don't want this to tear any further or your bowel to get constricted this could be really bad and you'd be in an emergency situation so I was like oh okay (laughs) I was just like so I can't play football he was like no I was like volleyball he's like no (laughs) <laughs> I just started basketball, ball, uh, ball sports. sports. <laughs> and I think I got two or three sports in. And he's like, he he had a he he was German, he had a very thick accent. He's like, enough with the balls, no ball sports. <laughs> and I was like, can I run? And he was like, no. And he's like, nothing that's going to increase your intra-abdominal pressure. He's like, you can walk to uni as long as it's not up a steep hill, oh, and you're wow. walking slowly. And so yeah, I ended up. Um, it was months I had to wait um, oh and it, I, the, in the end the hernia made me quite sick and I lost mm. quite a bit of weight and yeah. um, I ended up below the BMI threshold for you know where it yeah. becomes an emergency yeah. surgery and so I ended up getting emergency getting it fixed emergency yeah. surgery wise and then um, when I recovered, the first thing I was allowed to do was jog. I wasn't allowed to play contact sports, but I was allowed to jog. And I was um, dating who's still my partner now. Yeah. Um, and he he was a rower and he was keeping fit for rowing. And he was like, oh, you should come jogging with me now. You can run. So I started jogging with him and he was like, oh, um, I'm going to run point to pinnacle. You've been running so much. You may as well do point to pinnacle with me. And I was like, sure. Like, that's not a big deal. <laughs> and so, so here I am like, yeah, sure. I'll run right up the top of Mount Wellington. <laughs> and uh, so we did that. And then his dad, um, who was also quite fit and jogging a bit at the time, had heard about the Cradle Mountain Ultra. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously hard to qualify for, yeah. but he was like, he was turning 50 and he said, for my 50th birthday, I want to run the Overland track. Will you guys come with me? <laughs> and the two of us naive, knowing nothing, were like, sure, like <laughs> we can do that. And so we did that. And um, gosh, we did everything wrong, but we oh. made it to Narcissus to the boat anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure the experience broke my partner and his dad and just sent me crazy. I was like, this is what oh, I want to wow. do. And on a start, light. yeah, started to buy some running books because, you know, uh, ultra running wasn't huge and, you know, hadn't done too much. But um, how long ago was that, Jess? That would have been in two, 2000 and 
eight. 2008 2009 yeah 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 yesterday not long ago um yeah and so back back then I just kind of met a few friends and was just very much dabbling in the sport like I wasn't training or anything but that definitely was what kind of lit the very initial flame I guess so what was it about it do you think that that yeah it was different than I guess running up Mount Wellington or doing the Bernie 10 what was it about doing that overland track do you think that um I think the first thing I realized was that I was like so much more capable of so much more than I thought I was and I think my whole life I realized I was probably I was never the fastest kid but I could just go all day and all night like I was never going to stop and so watching kind of my partner get sore knees on the overland track and just seeing them go through it and then just realizing that I got some pretty bad blisters because I was wearing terrible socks but I was fine like I you know I, I seemed to get through it and enjoy it and there was just something about being out there that just felt right I guess yeah oh, I love it so from hmm. there you went on and you have now continued to run is it mostly ultra trails is that what you like yeah yeah so I kind of after that totally skipped the whole marathon thing and stuff I met a couple you do seem to have changed the usual trajectory (laughs) I went to the furthest and I'm working my way back now (laughs) so I yeah I met a couple of friends at uni who um, introduced me to running on Mount Wellington after that yeah and they introduced me into kind of a few shorter trail races in Hobart. And so I started dabbling in those and um, just pretty much just hanging out with these friends on the mountain. And um, from there, I kind of started entering a few races. I wasn't really training. I was just running for fun. And, you know, after a year or so, I started doing quite well in the races and yeah. was like, oh, I might have a bit of a knack for this. <laughs> and um, so then I was like, oh, maybe I'll actually try and train. And these friends asked me to be on a relay team with them at the Bruny Island Ultra. Yeah. And so I think I just rocked up and I was like, yeah, I can run 30K of the Ultra for you. <laughs> like, in one go or in the... <laughs> no, in one go. And so I did that. And then um, I think the second time I did that, I was like, I just said to someone, I'm just going to run the whole Bruny Island Ultra next year. They were like, no, you aren't. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> and so, yeah, the next year I was just like, well, let's just see if we can train to run the Bruni Island Ultra. And I did. So <laughs> and, That's um, amazing. Yeah, so that was my, my first ultra was the Bruni Island Ultra. And then after that, um, I think going into it, I just had this goal, 64K. I was like, I want to run sub six hours which I thought was a pretty hefty goal at the time having never done anything like it and um rocked up on the day I I trained pretty well throughout the year and somehow ran a 5.35 I completely blew myself away um I'd beaten the current course record but funnily enough it was the year so Amy Lampret who you would know very well from Launceston um yeah she's she's great (laughs) love Amy so much so um the 
Amy had the current record at 5.45 and we both rocked up that year and I ran 5.35 and I can't remember, but she blew her own record away as well. And so she was first and I was second and that was the first time I met. Oh, holy crap. Like (laughs) I did that and it wasn't too bad. And that was the point where I was like, that qualified me for the Cradle Mountain Ultra to actually run the Cradle Mountain Ultra. And then that was kind of how I got into the ultra trail and started training properly and actually trying to compete after that yeah so and going forward that is what you do now that's your sport that's your Hmm. that's how you yeah um deal with the rest of your life going for long runs in the bush (laughs) yeah pretty much I make this joke that I got into ultra trails because I was doing a PhD and the more stressful the PhD got, the longer the training runs had to get to deal with the stress. (laughs) (laughs) And we do talk about that. In fact, one of the reasons before I started the podcast was listening to lots of um, podcasts, other podcasts talk about in particularly, particularly running and neuroscience and what it does with our minds. And of course I could talk to you and you're like an expert on that stuff. Which is awesome because um, I'll often say to people, even on the podcast, um, you know that your study was was better or whatever after going for a run because of some of the things that happen, mm. new neural pathways and stuff that are being created when you're running and that um, their studies in neuroscience have shown, which you can now you can, say, yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> they actually show that that it it looks a little bit like when you're meditating. Mm. like the stuff that's going on in your mind in in your um the neural pathways and stuff looks very similar Mm. to that which is fascinating really because because I guess you get into a state which looks like or is mimics what happens when you're meditating which yeah quite fascinating anyway um we can talk about neuroscience at some point (laughs) that'll be really fun (laughs) in relation to all of this um what is your, what are you training for now? Do you have like big goals that you are training for? Or? Um, I have done over the last few years. Um, this year I've kind of taken a pivot just to kind of keep stuff fresh and just do something a little bit different. So um, at the moment I'm actually, I'm actually going backwards. So I kind of did the ultras, you, you know, <laughs> stuck around the hundred Ks and the 50 Ks distances and stuff. And always kind of said that I wasn't a fast runner, that I'm an endurance runner and that anything shorter than that, you know, I I can't do. And so um, this year I'm like, you know, it's kind of a cop out to say you're not fast if you've never tried, right? (laughs) So um, just for a bit of fun for a few months, I'm kind of focusing on like kind of the 10K distance and um, training with the athletics group down here. And I'm I'm running the the athletics cross-country um winter comp which obviously I'm terrible at because you know you've got all these amazing you know athletes you know from 12 years old and up that you know are Australia's you know potential in terms of five and ten and 3k races and stuff um but I'm doing that and I'm having a heap of fun and I think the kind of running um, economy that I'm getting from learning to run faster and pushing myself in these shorter races is going to pay dividends when I come back later in the year and do some some longer trail stuff so yeah it's kind of cross country is kind of this weird hybrid between road running and trail running it's not 
rough enough or steep enough to be trail running yeah. but it's you know it's got a little something that road running doesn't have you've still got reasonable hills some of the courses can be quite gravelly and you know yeah. um so yeah it's a bit of fun <laughs> so are you then aiming for a longer run like you've got a you know some races in mind at the to see how this period of training racing uh, that you've been doing how it will affect your longer run at the yeah I'll probably do some longer races like around November December okay. this year um coming into the next summer season I guess of ultras yeah. um I've been balancing a lot of like long distance training for a number of years on top of working as a neuroscientist and I guess um and I also work as a coach as well like a running coach and so um just kind of needed to kind of rebalance myself get a bit more time and yep. just kind of um also you know pivot the goals a little bit so you keep things fresh and you know try something a little bit different yeah I love it it's like you just got a little bit bored and now you're going as you said backwards which is kind of yeah just as it will be interesting as a scientist too to be able to see what difference that has on your on your speed yeah. going forward into the ultras when you do some of those in summer well anecdotally uh, from my own experience with myself in so in 2020 when COVID happened and all of our trails got shut yeah. we kind of got forced into road running mm-hmm. and I'm one of those funny trail runners there's lots of trail runners that just won't touch the road or hate the road I actually quite like road running I you know they're both different facets of the same sport for me and as long as I'm outside I don't really mind and you know road running in Tassie is not like road running in a city like our yeah, road exactly. running is still very beautiful <laughs> we'll go down a country um, road and be with the cows and look up at the mountains and all that exactly so um I ended up doing a lot of road running that year and the first kind of races that cropped up um that season were kind of like the Ross Marathon and stuff yeah So that was like my second attempt at actually doing kind of like a road marathon. And the really funny thing about that was that training for the road marathon and running the road marathon, then towards the end of the year and going into the next year, all the trail races came back. Yeah. And it was probably one of my most successful, best trail racing periods was immediately following that road running period. And so I think for me, um, I'm naturally able to kind of grind up steep hills and have a reasonable hiking technique, but I think running fast is not necessarily my forte. And so I think by training that weakness through the road running, pay dividends down the track in my trail running. So yeah, yeah, it's whatever their fast twitch muscles or whatever they, (laughs) yeah. And I think things in front of you because I get it wrong. Yeah. And I think those motor patterning, you know, about, even when you're fatigued being able to turn your legs over faster you get that from the road running whereas trail running it can be quite easy to kind of get into the plod zone especially as the you know trails undulating and you've got the excuse to walk up a hill and (laughs) I love it what what do you think drives you to keep wanting to do better and better at at well ultimately trail ultimately you're running yeah I think, um, I think it's in my personality. um, When I decide to do something, I just want to do it to the best that I can. And sometimes to my own detriment. (laughs) Um, 
like I think I see it in every facet of my life it's kind of how I am at, at work and in research um you know can be a little bit of a perfectionist I guess um but I think the other thing is just I don't feel like I've reached my limit and yeah. so I I feel like there's potential to get better and so I just want to see how much better I can go how much faster I can get how much further I can run like what what is my my limit which of those is more important to you faster or further oh that's a really good question I've never I've never thought about it before um probably oh it's probably a balance between the two like I don't think I just want to run and see how many days I can go before I just collapse of the sun. Um so one distance I haven't done yet is the 100 mile and I was supposed to do it last year in December and I was really looking forward to it and one of the reasons I hadn't done it is um one I was trying to respect my body and build up to it slowly and just get to a point where I was mastering the 100k distance before I tried to tackle something longer um, the other reason was um, I've always wanted to do UTMB mm-hmm. and just the timing with the qualifying and stuff has just yeah. never wow. lined up that I've qualified and been pulled in the lottery. Mm-hmm. And so um, still trying to do that. Um, but I, I kind of was like, oh, I don't want to run a hundred mile until I run UTMB because if I hate the distance, then I might not do UTMB. Yeah. <laughs> but I decided last year, no, no, um, I'll sign up to the Cozzy 100 miler, which was yeah. new at the end of last year. And so I trained like I'd never trained before. I was doing in so much training and balancing it all. And I was feeling really good. And then um, in November, I was running, I was doing a Sunday run and I actually got bitten by a dog. What? A hernia and a dog injury so far. (laughs) Yeah. um, uh, On the back of my hamstring and ended up in emergency. It was was quite bad. I was, like dogs? Li- Sorry. I, just... I do like, I do, well, I did like dogs. <laughs> not so sure now. <laughs> um, it, it was bad, but it was also lucky because it didn't seem to have done any lasting damage. Yeah. Um, all four canines punctured and so there was a lot of bruising and swelling and stuff, but I got away with just um, tetanus injections and, and I had to have prophylactic antibiotics. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was fine. And it happened on a Sunday and I was back running on Thursday, <laughs> um, which the doctor said was fine. It just, you know, the bruising might hurt a bit. Um, and so I thought I'd kind of jump that hurdle and was still going to be able to run my hundred miler. And, um, I think the combination of the stress of that event with the antibiotics I was on, um, ended up getting quite sick and a really bad chest infection and was hacking up a lot before the race. And there was, I I wanted to run, but I saw a couple of doctors and they were like, no, like this would be very bad for you to do. So I had to pull the pin, (laughs) which I was pretty devastated about, but um, I got the entry rolled over to this year. So um, yeah, I think in December this year we'll, we'll probably go back to that goal again. Yeah. So sometimes in the podcast, we talk about injuries. Mm. 
especially in relation to identity. So yeah. most people, when I ask them, you know, when did you first think of yourself as a runner? Well, there you go. When did you, Jess, first think of yourself as a runner? Uh, probably around the time I ran the Bruni, uh, Bruni Island Ultra for the first time. That was when I probably, my identity became Jess the runner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when you've had injuries, because you have some people, I ask this question, they go, well, I've never really had an injury. But when you've had injuries that have put you out of running um, for a period, how do you deal with that? Like I'm a runner now, I'm, but I'm a runner who's not running. Like how, how do you deal with yeah. that? Yeah. Um, the first time it happens and the, the, the only really serious injury that took me out for like 10 weeks, I remember when it happened, that was a big mourning process. Like you feel really sorry for yourself. You you have lost your identity. Um, now I like to think I'm much more mature than that yeah. <laughs> and have dealt with it a few times. Um, I, I think I think as a runner, you have to be really careful not to tie your entire ident- identity to your running and okay. also inside that to your accomplishments mm-hmm. as a runner. Like if you start to let your accomplishments and your running define you, you're just in a really vulnerable place if anything takes that away. Well, they're and very so, fleeting as well, aren't they? Like you win that are. race, that's great for about five minutes. Exactly. It's gone. It's the history already. Exactly. Sense? And so it's really the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And so when I was mourning the 100 miler last year, because, you know, I put months of training into that and it was a huge loss to not be able to race. But then I looked back and I actually had another friend who who was injured and couldn't run the 100 mile race as well. And I just kind of said to him, I was like, you know what? It was never about the race. It was about the journey the two of us took together and with all of our friends and family. Like, yeah. it, despite not lining up for that race, we still had the most crazy training block. And the two of us were out there in ridiculous rain running three capes and you know going out to dinner and eating six pizzas afterwards because we're so hungry and you know all of those memories not racing will never take away they're still there yeah and that's the thing to remember when you're you're injured the running everything you've done to that point still exists you've got to do it again afterwards and you know I am just the runner also Jess the neuroscientist I'm Jess the running coach and um Jess who likes to dabble with strength training badly and you know um Jess the friend and the partner and the auntie and the sister and the daughter so it's not you're not one person and running is running is something that you do and that you enjoy so just yeah trying not to tie yourself up too much Mm. too much in it Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, it is something that, you know, whenever we can't run or something, you it, suddenly everybody seems to be running, you know? <laughs> because oh, like, you're what? driving down the road and I see someone running? running and I'm like, oh man, I wish I could be doing that. <laughs> it's <laughs> so kind of, weird. It is the weirdest I, thing. I remember, so in 2019 was the, the first time I ever made an Australian team and it was yeah. something I never never in my million years growing up ever thought I would say that I made an Australian team it was like the most oh, insane so. moment to get a phone call telling me that 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 was the case and I was at work and door closed trying not to squeal on the other end of the phone <laughs> um but the timing because I just picked up what I thought was a running injury and I had the most 
sore foot like I could barely walk at the time and I'd been in and out of the physio and I like couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and everything which or every tendonitis or thing they thought it was was just making it worse and it wasn't getting better and I was like oh my god I've made my first Australian team and I'm not going to be able to run and um, the great physio I was seeing sent me to a sports doctor who sent me for an MRI and um, I found out that I had a tarsal coalition so my you can have to explain that sorry (laughs) so in my in my left foot my heel bone is connected to one of my midfoot bones by a big rib of cartilage that should get reabsorbed when you're a child like when you're a baby wow and it didn't and And it it, only suddenly started to affect you though well I'd had a sore foot on and off training multiple times and had just managed it and just thought you know it was Mm. you know some some type of tendonitis or something Um, but this was the first time it had got that bad and um really odd and the sports doctor said to me how on earth did you get to 29 and not know you've had this and be a trail runner because what it inevitably does is it stops your lock your foot locking together when you take a running stride when you go up on your toes and so it makes your midfoot inherently unstable so it means you've got a really unstable ankle (laughs) and you shouldn't be able to run on technical trails very well wow imagine if you'd heard that years ago like before Mm. it might have stopped you even attempting it exactly and so this is a real lesson for people so don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something or that your body's not made for it because it's complete nonsense somehow I'd muscularly wise and training wise had figured yeah had figured out how to manage this yeah manage this foot and obviously I was quite fine I'm reasonably good on technical trails so um you know I found my way around it and so essentially what had happened is this coalition had got uh stretched or you know it got irritated through all the trail running and I had a lot of swelling between my bones and my bones themselves were swollen and that's what was I pretty much had like really bad arthritis without it being normal arthritis Mm -hmm. and um the good news was that I could run on it and I wasn't going to make it worse the bad news is it was going to hurt like hell (laughs) so I I did get given a short um dose of anti-inflammatories to kind of get on top of it and to be able to run with it and I trained the best I could for the the world champs and I did get to race and I definitely I the experience was amazing I would do it over and over again um would make the same choice it was in Portugal um and um definitely wasn't I definitely know I could run better if I didn't have the injury, but I managed to do it still. Um, And I remember when I was getting diagnosed, the number of people that told me when found out what it was that said to me, clearly you're not made for running. This is the end of your running career. You better choose another sport now. Like literally this is what I was getting told by even friends, you know, that, and I was just like, no, I'm like, I've managed this for 29 years. Mm. I will get the pain to go away and I will come back from this. And I did. So <laughs> um, again, don't, don't let people tell you that, you know, that that's a career ending injury or you can't do something because, you know. Have you still got, so obviously you didn't, there's nothing you can do to mechanically make it like there's no surgery or anything. That would you can get surgery on them. You can get them resected. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally the outcomes are no better than leaving the coalition in place. And that's because usually your body has adapted to it. 
Yeah. Um, and you essentially need to relearn to walk and stabilize your foot if you get that done. Yes. Yeah, so so um, the best choice for me was um, after world champs, I got a corticosteroid injection into the joint space, mm-hmm. um, which just kind of helped settle down the inflammation, um, wore a moon boot for a few days, um, and then slowly kind of rehabbed and came back to running over a couple of weeks. Um, And then since then, it's just been doing, working with a physio to know the right strength um, training, the right proprioceptive kind of training to do, um, and then just managing my load and now noticing if, you know, I ever get a little bit of pain there that I need to pull back for a few days, um, let it settle down and then go back to things. And so just since 2019, that's what I've been doing. I've just been managing it and, um, yeah, you know, it's back to, I know it's there, but yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it's it's part of you. Exactly. Part of what you do. Like you understand it, I guess, you know, when you have those kind of, well, not so much that injury, but something that happens where one side of your body is in pain and then it makes you limp and do and it changes your form really is my point yes. that would be the thing that I'd be most worried about and I assume that's yeah. what you were worried about too it would change your your gait and stuff and then cause other knock-on things which is yeah tends to happen it, isn't it also taught me how amazing you are at um pushing through and suppressing pain because if you'd asked me how bad it was leading up to world champs, I would have told you it wasn't that bad. Like it, it ached a bit, but it was fine. You know, it was totally fine to go for four hour runs on. Um, the morning after I'd done the race and obviously the race had irritated a bit, but it's like I woke up that morning and I could just let go least, and just yeah. feel everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting up out of bed and standing on my foot and was like, oh, my god this is like a nine out of ten pain (laughs) like this is so bad and I think I mean it probably wasn't quite that bad before I raced but I reckon it was close and I just managed to compartmentalize and you know the doctor told me I wasn't hurting myself and that it was okay so let's just not recognize that for a neuroscientist (laughs) to experience I think yeah (laughs) so it was it was a crazy thing. And I was like, wow, like that's the power of your mind to. It just... is. I, I run with a retired doctor and he's often talking about how that kind of thing that we, you know, we might be suffering some sort of injury or pain, but if you, there are ways that we can essentially what you're saying, mm. stop, stop feeling it at least there. And, and it's well, not too. With chronic pain, there's like a lot we know about learning pain and unlearning pain. And so when people get into chronic pain, they'll have a pain and the pain was there. But then what's causing the pain might go, but the pain still persists. And part of that they think is your brain's actually learnt the pain and you have to almost unlearn it. And uh, anyone that's had like, um, like little nerve issues and nerve pain and stuff that often happens or people that have had knee reconstructions and then you know the knee pain doesn't seem to get better sometimes um yeah so it's really interesting what your brain can do when it comes to pain yeah it's fascinating um that your the expertise that you have the science degree and things that you that you're um you know in it do you find that helps with your running in that you know so much about how the body works and what's going on in your body. Is it helpful or is it a rabbit hole? Both. 
both <laughs> both I know too much and yeah never know enough <laughs> yeah so definitely um it definitely can get you to go down the reads of training and stuff like you yeah. can, you know quite obsessed and trying to find the best possible combination other than just being in the moment but um at the same time it yeah allows me to understand things and yeah know things like you know learnt pain and yeah. nerve injuries and how they heal and things like that so it's yeah a little, little bit of a two-edged sword because and because we're learning stuff all the time too okay it's all there's new there's cutting edge as you said earlier there's cutting mm. edge stuff in the, that fascinates me the fact that we have had bodies for forever that we've humans have been on the planet and been studying our bodies and yet we're always and we're still learning there's still cutting edge stuff to do with exercise mm. for example and and what's the best way to do xyz definitely it's so interesting because you think that we'd know that the best of all possibly. and just the crazy stuff your body does like when my foot got sore a whole heap of the muscles and things in my leg and around my ankle had been were either really tight or had been completely inactivated Oh. And that was because my body was trying to protect the joint that was causing so much pain. And so, you know, if you can't stabilize the joint through the bones and the tendons and stuff, it's going to stabilize by, you know, tightening up a muscle that's pulling on a tendon that's locking that bone into place and things like yeah. that. So um, a lot of the physio I did around when it was getting better was kind of unlocking and retraining those muscles to do what they were supposed to do rather than be tightened up in protection mode yeah. and relearning kind of the proprioception. So like, you know, knowing where your foot is in space mm -hmm. and how it's moving. And um, it took me quite a few months after it to get the confidence back to run on technical trail because my foot had been so unstable while it was sore for so long that I kind of lost the confidence to go really fast yep. on that really rocky stuff and yeah. so you know part of that was the proprioception and you know relearning how to control my foot and then part of that was also my mind just having the confidence and the confidence in my body that it could do it and so yeah it was it was quite an interesting learning experience at the same time and so yeah I can imagine you going out running and your your mind is concentrating on what your foot's doing like how do you mm like yeah like you so part of it was trying to not over concentrate yeah. too much because I'd become too aware of what was happening and yeah. you know every little hurt or instability you'd be like oh no like it's gonna roll or it's gonna hurt or um yeah really interesting yeah anyway we could we could dig into those that stuff quite a lot um how long do you think you'll run for Jess in your life I don't I don't see myself stopping unless something stops me <laughs> um yeah I think it's always going to be a part of my life it's the way I like to move it's the way I like to explore it's yeah. the way I clean clear my mind it's the way I solve problems in life um yeah. the number of kind of you know mini breakthroughs in the lab or in my experiments that I've had have come to me whilst I've been running and I'm probably have a long suffering PhD student at the moment where I'll come into work after run and be like, I have a great idea. <laughs> I came up with it running this morning. <laughs> I know the meaning so, of life is 47. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like that. I'm like, I came up with an entire week's worth of experiments for you to do running this morning. <laughs> do you find an interesting aside uh, as a business person, 
um, most of my adult life, I've been an entrepreneur of some sort or other, but I have lots of great ideas when I'm running, like they're amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I stop running and I go to implement them or write them down. I'm like, "Mm, no, maybe that wasn't (laughs) such a good idea. It's almost as as bad as trying to do complicated maths while I'm running. Like (laughs) It's like like a one in 10 thing. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's amazing and really out of the box and other times not so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely the same. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> I'm sure there's some science around that too. I like why you, it's very difficult to do maths, like complicated maths. It's a good yes. way to, while you're running. And I always say it's because there's not much oxygen in your brain, but that's not yeah. a medic, not, not from any kind of medical um, background. That's just literally um, <gasps> me. <laughs> Would, why, why is it so hard to do? There you go. Why is it so hard to do? complicated maths like trying to work out how fast you're running because it's 60 seconds in a, in a <laughs> and, and it's decimal like a distance. why is that so hard when you're running well I can't I can't say that I've looked into it in any <laughs> form of depth but I, I would think it would have to do with oxygen and energy utilization and what parts of your brain what are useful mean? because I, yeah because you know obviously when you're running, all the signals for running are going through the motor cortex of your brain, like your brain is telling you to run. And so, you know, you're going to put the resources to where they need to to be being used. And so I'm sure you'll find if you're running at a very comfortable pace, you can work out your splits very easily. And then the faster and faster you get, the, you know, the harder and harder it is. And, and part of that is, yeah, you can't, you're essentially trying to multitask and so you're trying to do something cognitive while you're also trying to do something physical and at the end of the day both of them are being run by your brain just different parts of your brain so um yeah I, I think that that's a pretty reasonable assumption the computer <laughs> yeah there's well there's um there's actually a little bit of research around um cognitive fatigue and how that affects your running and so you know if you've been sitting in a job that's quite cognitively fatiguing or doing an exam and then you go out to run you might find hitting your paces in an interval session is harder and that's because all of you know cognitive fatigue is still a form of fatigue um and so that there's actually a whole of sports science around training people specifically that so they've got like computer games that people play that are cognitively taxing that they get athletes to do before they go out and do their long run and it's to try and train it's to try and train that like being able to still perform under fatigue whether that fatigue be induced by cog you know something cognitive something physical um yeah yeah. so there's like quite a lot of sports science literature on that because on like mostly what I think about and what we talk about on the podcast is the opposite. It's like, yes, I've got to study, I've got a test, I've got, so I'm going to go for a run first because that will mm. make me, you know, awake mm. and, you know, get all the neurons firing. So, and you have the positive effect of that. So it's interesting that it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it depends how, like, if you go out for a run and it's acquired an easy run and that run leaves you feeling energized and invigorated then that's definitely going to help you, you know, throughout the day cognitively get things done. But if you go out for, you know, a really long training run on a Sunday that takes you four hours all over the mountain or you go out and do, you know, really hard 1K repeats and that really fatigues you and you come feeling fatigued, I'm sure when you sit down to try and do some work, you find it harder 
So it's all about whether or not that physical activity left you kind of invigorated or whether or not it was really, really taxing. So after a long run on Sunday, like I don't book in to do anything important on a Sunday afternoon (laughs) because I'm probably not going to do a very good job of it. (laughs) So yeah, it's all, it all depends on how, yeah, how fatigue inducing the session that you did was. Yeah, 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 totally agree with that. I like to have a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, or I do, um, I end up, uh, you know, vacuuming, doing things that don't require your mind very much. You know, the everyday I, kind of hanging up the washing, things like that. I give my excuse to watch television after a long run in the afternoon, but to make myself feel less guilty, I fold the washing while I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? We are so, we're weird creatures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how do you, like you have, you've already described quite a busy life. How do you fit in when you got all this training to do for an event, say, or whatever? How do you fit it all in? When do you- um, so I have a very supportive part, partner, which is helpful. And I don't, full disclosure, I don't have any children. So except for my two kitties, my two fur babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is just um, planning a lot of planning and organizing so just figuring out what what time of the day I'm going to do certain things and and sticking with it and yeah trying to trying to plan stuff in and then being flexible if all crap hits the fan kind of thing um but yeah because being you're like an academic and being like what I do which is a lot of stuff in front of the computer as well um and what I do is it's a never ending, like I will never get to the bottom of the things that I need <laughs> and I you to do this for, for you. So, so it's that, um, how you, it's like prioritizing. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and there are some times where I think I really can't go for a run today, but then I have to have that conversation with myself. It's like, if I don't go, then I won't be as productive in whatever it That's is. Right. So it's the, and like, sometimes you wake up in the morning and if you've gone yep I'm going to get up at six and that's when I'm going to go for my run because then I'm going to go to work and I know my work day is going to be really long and I'm probably not going to get out at a reasonable hour to go for a run after work and so you wake up and you're like I'm really tired I don't want to get up it's really dark outside and then you go well if I don't get up now and go for my run now then I'm not going to go for a run at all do I want to not go for a run at all and how I feel (laughs) how I feel about that and then you kind of get up and you're like sometimes you just make the deal with yourself all right I'm going to put my running clothes on and I'm going to go out and run and if after five to ten minutes I'm not feeling it yeah. you know then I give myself permission to go back yeah. but you know that unless you've got some form of illness or injury coming on that never happens mm. once you're in the run you've done yeah. the hard part you've got out the door yeah. you're reaping the benefits for doing that you're going to stay out there and so it's just yeah just playing those those Chinese food mind games with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Tricks. I even had somebody say that they go to bed if they're feeling pretty struggly about it, they'll go to bed in their running clothes. So when they wake mm-hmm. up in the morning, well, there's no resist the resistance has been. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I do every day is before I go to bed, I lay out my running clothes and my work clothes for the next day. And they're always laid out, always ready to go every morning. So oh, that just God. takes that barrier away. It that yeah. The choice of what I'm wearing in the morning is made. I've checked the weather app the night before to know what to pick and it's done. And so, you know, getting up and putting it on isn't a big deal. It's just done there. Yep. <laughs> um, do you have any other tips for 
you know, motivation to get out the door? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it kind of depends what motivates you and stuff. Um, sometimes lining up a running buddy to go with because you, if you tee up to meet someone up, you're not going to let them down. Yeah. And so you say, I'm going to meet you at 6.30 here to go for a run you know, it's pretty crappy to then not do that or to message in the morning and be like, yeah, I'm not going. Um, So that can be a really powerful motivator for people. And then, you know, you're getting to catch up with a friend for uninterrupted hour of chat time. And that can be a really nice way to also catch up with those friends. Um, So that's definitely something I do if it's, you know, it's a long session coming up or something that, you know, you're going to particularly struggle to get out the door to do. Um, for hard sessions I go to a running group and so you know you've got that motivation of someone chasing you someone to chase and everyone out there quote-unquote suffering together kind of thing and then uh in your cool down lap you can all talk about how wretched that session the coach gave you was (laughs) and blame him for all the pain um so that that can be a good thing um if I do have to do lots of solo running and I'm, you know, struggling with a bit of motivation that day, um, I'll sometimes listen to podcasts like this one or audio books and that can, you know, that can get you out the door um, or music even. Um, And then just to remind yourself that no runner, no matter how elite they are and no matter how many times they just will tell you, I love running. There's not a runner I've met that doesn't get up some days and goes, you know what, I really just don't feel like going today. I really don't feel like getting out the door. And so just recognizing that that's completely normal and it doesn't mean you're a bad runner or a bad athlete if you feel like that and that you can feel like that and still go for a run and still love it, you know, during the run later. So just knowing it's motivation comes and goes and it's completely normal. Yeah. And it's often... Once we, as you said, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the fact that no matter how much I don't want to go for a run on a particular day for a particular reasons that I can make up. Um, <laughs> once, yep. once I've actually gone, I've never gone. I could probably count on one hand after, you know, I'm in my 50s. I've been running since I was in the, my mid-20s. Um, and I don't, yeah, probably couldn't say that that any of those, you know, when I finished it, I went, oh, gosh, I really wish I hadn't done that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I haven't ever said that. So I might have thought, oh, I can't wait to get in a warm shower because I got really wet and it was raining and windy. But in some ways we're talking about that on another uh, podcast recently and just how alive you can feel when things are, when the weather is, say, turns to whatever um, out there while you're running. Uh, as much as it can even be a bit uncomfortable once you've finished you feel kind of alive like you're out there while the world was also doing its thing yeah I think it's really fun yeah (laughs) seeing mother mother nature just yeah just put you back in your place (laughs) when it's wild I just I love it I love it anyway um if you hadn't started running um as you the way you run now uh, you know as a sport individually by itself how what do you think your life would be missing? So what do you think running's giving you that you wouldn't have had if had you not uh, taken it on? It, it's given me so much stuff. I mean, one, the the friendships and the connections you make through running are just amazing. I have run I've running friends now all over Australia that that I've met through this sport. And that that's amazing. And you know, that I can go to pretty much any state in Australia and have 
a friend to stay with and go running with and take me on their local tra- trails. So definitely just the friendship and the community that you develop around running is a huge one for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's also taken me to places I never would have gone, like the the area of Italy. I went last year for the Sky Running World Champs. Yeah. I probably never would have discovered um, or thought of going there because it yeah. was off the beaten track. It wasn't a tourist, you know, a normal tourist place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet definitely wouldn't have ever made an Australian team if I hadn't gone into running. <laughs> um, it's also it's also taught me a lot about myself. I think it's taught me a lot about what I'm physically capable of, what I'm mentally capable of. Um, and obviously all of the health, mental health benefits that have come with continue to come with running. I think, um, yeah, have just been, yeah. Where do you think running has helped you most in your life? Like, can you think of a period where, you know, running has actually been really helpful for you just for your life? Um, it definitely, it definitely helped me get through stressful exam periods and stuff at uni um, and still does help me get through stuff like that. Um, it really helps me when I need to just think, mm-hmm. um, clear my head a little bit. Um, I Even looking back, even though I wasn't like formally doing anything, whenever I would get angry or upset as a child in any way, I used to go out and do something physical, whether or not it'd be shoot hoops in my backyard, swim laps in the pool. You know, it was, it was kind of what I did. So I think it's, you know, yeah, I think it's always been a meditative thinking time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's always added, you know, helped me in life um, that way. But yeah, mostly it just, it just brings me lots of happiness. Just being out in the trails, hanging out with friends, seeing animals, (laughs) climbing climbing on top of mountains my my partner laughs at me because whenever we drive anywhere I'll just see a mountain and be like oh that'd be good to run up that trail looks fun to run on he's like every path you see isn't just something to run on but it is (laughs) but you're wrong wrong. it it most certainly is (laughs) um yeah so yeah different definitely just helps me explore and yeah clear my mind can you think about one particular time, where, reflect on it, where things, everything just flowed and you probably had like hundreds of them. <laughs> Can you think of just like one where it was like everything just. Was- um, yeah, you do, do get those moments where everything just clicks and feels right. Probably. Probably one of the ones that comes to mind the most is um, I think it was in 2021. I think it was the first year I ran the Gone Nuts 50 up north. Yeah. And um, I it was really funny because I that was coming off the back of that road running season, and I knew I was probably the fittest that ever been, and I was running really well, and I felt great, and I'd been having a really good training block with my buddies, and um. I kind of felt at that point a lot of external pressure to run well and I felt like there was a lot of people expecting me to win and to do certain things and to break records or whatever and I hated it I I hated it I hated Mm. the expectations it's something I've struggled with over the last couple years quite a lot to be honest I've really struggled with the 
whether or not it's true external pressure or it was my my uh, interpretation of feeling internalization of that external pressure but I really struggled with it and um I remember driving the race and I was you know not in a very good mood and a bit anxious and my partner was like why are you even doing this like why are you even racing you seem to be hating it like yeah. what what are you doing and I was like well I don't know like I I, I don't want to run I feel all this pressure like I just want to go run with my friends on the yeah. trails I don't want to worry about you know, like, obviously I want to run well, but that's not what this is about. And then he just said, well, you need to make a decision. You're either going up to have fun or you, we're going home. Like we're turning the car around, we're driving back to Hobart. And I was like, I just made the point, the decision in my head at that point. I was like, you know what, you're just going to go out, you're going to have fun. And it was going to be, because all my family lives in the Northwest. It was going to be the first time my mom and my dad and my nieces and nephews and that were going to be at the finish line. And I was going to see my family. I've never had that happen before. I've had like my mom at one of my races and my partner comes to all my races, but you know, they hadn't actually seen me in my element. They just heard about it. And so I, yeah, I just made the decision. Like, you know, it was all about seeing them at the finish and having a good time. And I went out and I just had the best race of my life. Still. I don't think any race will compare to that race. I just, like you said, everything clicked. I remember climbing the first hill and the sun was right. I, I was told I didn't need a head torch everyone doing gone nuts it's a lie you need a head torch <laughs> um <laughs> I was not off the road when it was still dark oh. so anyway I'm like going up this single trail in the dark and I'm like Man, I can't see anything <laughs> anyway I got to the top of the hill and luckily before I had to go down it the sun had risen and just seeing the sunrise over that coastline down there was just amazing and we, we had the most perfect weather day that day and at that point, a really good running buddy of mine had caught up to me that I'd been training with um, and he was doing the same race. And we ran together from the top of that hill through the first 16 kilometres wow. chatting and he was taking pictures of of the two of us. And um, then at, at about 16K, he, he kind of ran off on me a little bit and said, I'll see you at the finish, Jess. Um, and, yeah, I just just had so much fun talking to you know all the volunteers and catching up to friends in the 25k and um yeah just everything clicked felt super strong um yeah ran way better than I expected and inevitably ended up winning the race but that wasn't the important part and yeah my dad and my mom and my nieces and nephews and sisters and stuff were at the finish line and Lincoln was um was doing the commentating that year and came up and gave me a big hug because oh, I've been training with him and yeah. chat to him. And yeah, like you said, everything just clicked that day, but it was because it it was just about being out there and having yeah. the best day. And Isn't so I think that it came, came on a contrast too, like that contrast, yeah. those two feelings on the same. same so way. I think that's um, just reminded everyone who's, you know, starting to get their head wrapped up in results and, mm you know, external validation of their running and, you know, their their worth as a runner, which is just a stupid thing to say. Um, that, you know, go back to why you're doing it because yeah. that's how you're going to, one, enjoy yourself and two, run at your best. And so, yeah, yeah. so, so why I always do you do it? think back yeah. on that. <laughs> I just I just purely love it. Um, yeah. I love I love being out in nature. I love pushing myself and feeling what my body's capable of. And I love hanging out with the community and 
training with my friends. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people in the beginning when I started the podcast, one of the questions was why the, why people keep going. And they, a lot of people said that they started because for whatever reason, often to lose weight or mm-hmm. something like that, they started running. And then they stayed running because of the people they met, which I thought mm. it's quite a lovely um, way to put it in that, that sort of phrase, which is true. But it, and it's interesting too because it's a solo endeavour and yet mm. it's the people that often make us want to stay and the friendships we make. So within that solo endeavour. kind of say that, you know, in an ultra, in a, in, you know, a 100K, 100-mile race, you live a you live a life in a day or you go through the seasons in one day. And it's super, it's super true. I, I, I would challenge anyone to get through a hundred K or a hundred mile race and not have moments of extreme bliss where everything's going right in their loving life and just the lowest of low moments yep. where everything hurts and you think you're going to puke and yeah, you have so much self doubt and why are you doing this? And I'm never doing it again. And then you cross the finish line and go, where do I sign up for the next one? <laughs> you know, um, And that's where you do learn a lot about, about yourself and your motivations. Why are you out there? Why are you still doing it? Why aren't you giving up? And yeah. Why do you keep coming back? I spoke to Pat Farmer and he basically said it was because he loves the like I said, why do you do it? And he said, well, he loves the way it breaks you down, which is what you just described, and then builds mm. you back up by the time you cross the line. It's that sort of yep. journey that you go on, even in a race. So not just the journey to get there, but the actual, the race journey itself has that, especially the longer, these longer distances that we're talking about. Definitely. It's amazing. Well, I can, you're at work. We could just keep teaching. <laughs> talking forever um, but before we go a couple of things um is there anything about running that you would like to share so this isn't the tips but just in general about running that we haven't touched on just in our um, around your story I think for anyone who's about to start running and who thinks that they're not a runner or they go out and they start running and they go this just hurts it's horrible it's not just you. It's like that for everyone. We all start somewhere and it doesn't feel good straight away. But I promise you, if you stick at it and just do a little bit every, you know, every couple of days or as much as you can manage that after two or three weeks, you will get to this moment where you're like, holy moly, this is the best thing in the world. I love it. Um, you've just got to push through that, you know, that very first bit. I think, I think that's true of most people I, I talk to. So um, don't don't give up essentially if you think yeah. you want to try running and it feels really bad at the beginning just know that that's normal and that yeah to, to keep going and see if it does become become comfortable for you because I think most people will end up loving it like you were saying yeah. I think everyone's a runner if they want to be a runner absolutely and that whole concept of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah too I think is a, a concept we've talked about a bit on the podcast and and yeah. just the de- don't don't be demeaning towards yourself in in that I hate people being like I'm just doing the 5k or I'm yeah. just doing the 25k or I'm just a slow runner or I'm you know I'm you know just out here blah 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 like there's no just in it like you are where you're at and that's amazing and don't don't diminish that just because someone else is doing something longer or faster or, you know, yeah. better in your eyes. Cause that's not true. Like meet yourself where you're at, mm. I think is really important. I know. Um, com- 
when we first used to start walking, like first running marathons, walking, like you do your marathon and then we're walking back to our accommodation, my husband and I, and we're looking over around and um, there are still people finishing and we'd, we'd already spent like an hour or so in the two hours in the recovery. And you look at the people who are doing it in the six and seven hour sort of mark and what we said to each other is, wow, those guys are actually doing much harder work than we were, for example. So, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, the fast people are out there and they, they do an mm -hmm. amazing job, which is great and they do. But even those of us who, you know, middle of the pack or even towards yeah. the back, the energy and the effort that they're putting in is commensurate. It's like. It's so it, true. Um, yeah. Everyone's on their own amazing. journey. and. Mm. Um, yeah, the thing that I've learned over the last few years um, is comparison is the thief of all joy. Mm -hmm. If you're out there comparing yourself to everyone else all of the time, you're just not, there's just no joy in that. And what is the point of that? And even, you know, with yourself, like obviously we're all trying to get better and be better than we were the day before, but comparison against yourself can also be a thief of joy. And you know, if you're coming back from injury, you don't want to spend the first month of running just comparing to how fast you were before injury because how's that going to help you? Yeah. Like you were, you are where you're at at the moment and all you can do is improve from there. So, yeah, leave the comparisons behind. Yeah. And I think you have seasons too, like where what your goal will mm. be. So your goal and your season for the long season that you're in at the moment while you're very competitive for your, you probably haven't even got into the age group sections yet, but when mm -hmm. you, you, you know, and maybe you'll always be competitive sort of speed wise, but, but for all of us, it doesn't have to be like a speed thing. It can be a distance thing, or it can be that's right a particular kind of event. I don't know. It, it's up to us, but if we, um, if you always have something that you're striving for just a little bit outside of your zone, it'll keep you improving. That's um, right. And yeah, I don't know really know exactly where I was going with that, but it, the the idea that you know you had, you were talking about with your own sort of internal dialogue as to um, whether you're doing well or not doing well. It's, yeah, it's not really. Yeah, there, there are right. lots of ways to motivate us to to move forward. Um, that's and it, right, and it will change. I guess that's really the point over your yeah. running lifetime. It will change. Uh, that's right, like the different seasons. Hmm. It's my favorite thing at the moment, different seasons, because we're all, yeah. <laughs> I think the older you get, the more you realize that you look back that there's so many different uh, ways that we, we move through the world and, and what's important to us at one period is, becomes not important. That's right. Yeah, which hmm. is interesting. All right, Jess, I'm rambling now, but you have been, <laughs> you've been amazing. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. So I'm going to ask you for some tips for beginner runners. And as that you've been, as you've been running for ages and doing so well, and you're a coach, <laughs> it's probably a very easy question for you. So if someone comes up and says to you, Jess, um, what, where do I start as a beginner runner? What would you suggest? Yeah. Um, so it depends really where they're starting from, but if they're truly a beginner, I would, I would suggest they start with, with run-walk intervals. So um, depending how physically fit they are at the time, they might be able to run for 30 seconds. They might be able to run for a couple of minutes. So just figuring out where that's at and getting them to try run-walk intervals for a little while where they run for as long as they can and then they take a walking break for however long they need to, to kind of catch their breath and their legs to recover enough to run again. 
And then, you know, we'd, we'd do that every other day or depending on their schedule. And then, you know, we'd slowly increase the period of running until they could run a certain, you know, solid block. And then from there, we'd, you know, depending on what kind of running they want to do and what their end goal is, we might increase the distance of that slowly towards whatever their goal is. So, yeah, I think, you know, initially building up that, that aerobic base, so that ability to just kind of run for an extended period of time would be um, where I get them to start, definitely. Awesome. Mm. Thank you. Uh, I, you mentioned coaching that you coach. Is that mm-hmm. something that you um, are open to people approaching you for to? Yeah. Um, so I coach under the brand Endurance Edge. Um, so if you Google Endurance Edge, um, you'll be able to find it. So that's with another um, Australian runner, uh, used to be Kelly Emerson, Kelly Angel. So she's a very accomplished Australian um, ultra distance runner. Yeah. And so there's the two of us and another friend, Sarah, um, also an ultra endurance runner. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we coach people um, all over Australia um, awesome. using the online pat- um, platform training picks. Oh. So um, I have athletes based in Tasmania, but I also have athletes that are based on the mainland as well. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of communicate, you know, through all of our online means and I coach yeah. them through training peaks and um, yeah. So if people are interested, if they look up Endurance Edge, they'll be able to find, find out more it. about it there. We'll put a link in the show notes so hmm. that people can, can easily access it because I'm sure they were very inspiring and, um, you know, some of the stuff that you've shared with us has been it's been, yeah, I've loved it. Excellent. Very motivational. So oh, good. Mention, there's a whole lot of neuroscience in there that I need to <laughs> dig into. I'd probably get you one at some point. We could just talk about the neuroscience around running. That would be Definitely. Awesome. I would love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, don't jump awesome. off straight away, but thank you so much for being on. I really have appreciated the time and uh, all the stuff that you've shared with us. It's been awesome. awesome. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. Send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. I also wanted to let you know that I've created an email list so you won't miss any podcast episodes. You'll find details in the show notes and on the Fit Mind Fit Body website, along with a bunch of resources on mindful running. They'll help you to get and stay mentally and physically fit. And I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running and ultimately to improve their life. See you soon.